After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and with me, I have a new, young, fresh, awesome filmmaker just off his first film and a whole bunch of victories and awards on the festival circuit. He's uh, smiling a little bit. <laughs> I am talking to Corey Stanton today. Hey, Corey, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for coming in in the chaos of the snowstorm, which now appears to be beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we live in Canada, and this is yeah. the choice we have made. Wouldn't, wouldn't have it any other way. Now, you made a film that a lot of it takes place in the great outdoors, mm -hmm. in the middle of the woods. What movie did you make? What movie did I make? So the movie is called Robbery. It yes. is a little crime drama with some hints of thriller in there. And uh, yeah, we shot it in uh, in 2018 in the spring there, which wasn't really a spring. If anyone remembers the weather <laughs> of 2018, was uh, we had terrible windstorms and ice storms and all kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a movie starring uh, the great Art Hindle and and my good friend Jeremy Ferdman and an all star Canadian cast. Um, and yeah, we uh, we've been touring it around a little bit since October. So where have you been, and what have you been? Oh, you've been winning awards. What you been doing? Yeah, so we had our uh, we were very lucky to have our world premiere at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival uh, this past October 2018 uh, down at Scotiabank Theatre in Toronto. Amazing turnout. Uh, watching your movie with uh, 400 other people is uh, very exciting. Actually, it's it's you know you can watch a movie at home on your own, but when it's your own movie and you're watching people react to it, um, that's you can't really beat that. Um, and we enjoyed some really great success there. We won Best Canadian Feature, uh, and Art took home Best Supporting Actor. And then just almost three weeks ago now, I just came back from uh, Victoria, uh, where we were at the Victoria Film Festival, and uh, we won Best First Canadian Feature. Nice. So, so far, so good. Now, I don't know if people know how big the Victoria Film Festival mm. actually is. Like, it's pretty legit and pretty significant. It's similar to the Whistler one. Yeah, it was, you know what, I, I knew of it, but uh, I was sort of in the same boat where um, until you go there and really see it, I mean, they, I think they programmed upwards of 150 maybe 200 movies there uh and you're seeing a lineup as big as like tiff um and what's really nice is because it's in you know it's on the island and it's kind of small town feel to it everyone there knows about the film festival you can't go in a coffee shop and not see a poster or something about the film festival i mentioned jeremy who was who was the co-lead with art in the movie um i should also mention jeremy was actually nominated for an actor award for his performance uh, in the movie and Jeremy told me the next day in Victoria people on the street actually recognized him um, <laughs> after our screening so yeah it was a great festival I, I loved it out there it was my first time in BC actually oh really yeah okay yeah. And you call yourself a Canadian director I know <laughs> you will get there you will get I there in the friend. A I threw in the A because uh, <laughs> yeah. you must but uh, let's go back to the very beginning because sure. you have an interesting and unusual way into filmmaking Correct. as Art yeah. mentioned because this episode came out yesterday for right. our listeners um, you started out as a med student what was your path <laughs> <laughs> so it was yeah it was a very roundabout way to making a movie um movies have been in my blood forever uh, my uh, my parents, big movie fans, showed me movies that I probably should have been seeing. At a, I think I saw The Terminator when I was about six. Oh, good. <laughs> um, and then I was I was Arnold for Halloween by seven. Mm -hmm. So um, they've been in my blood forever. And uh, I was the kid at four years old making you know a movie with Dad's camcorder and the action figures and voicing all the characters. So it's always been my love. And then um, I took up editing as a real hobby in my in my teen years. But I also really loved medicine. My my dad's father was a doctor, and I looked up to him for that. And uh, it was it was it's a nice struggle to have when you have two things you really like. And at some point, I had to pick one, and I opted to, for medicine just because 
everyone always said it's a much more viable career which is probably true <laughs> um but uh so and that that really a lot of people don't know that if you want to go into med school especially these days you got to start in high school you maybe have to start in elementary school you have to be a good student get good grades and, and the volunteering and the community Absolutely. service yeah there's and, a whole yeah. like just to get an interview to a med school especially in canada because unless things have changed i think there are only 12 med schools in the country yeah. it that's a feat in and of itself to get an interview um and i was very lucky enough i did my undergrad at york university and then i got an interview with uh, University of Ottawa Faculty of Medicine and I was extremely fortunate to get accepted out of my third year of undergrad and then I went off there for for four years but film was always kind of the bug in the back of my mind um, that was burrowing deeper and deeper until you know you can suppress something you love for only so long and uh, I made the decision to as stubborn as I was, finish medicine, uh, graduate with the MD. So technically, I have my doctor in medicine, and, <laughs> which is on yeah. your script. It was like course game, exactly. MD. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? It helps get actors in the door. I th- if only just to say, like, is he lying? Is <laughs> who is this guy? So I can I can write you a prescription. I just can't sign it. But that was uh, that was <laughs> That's something you want to say out loud to a podcast. Yeah, audience. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can write you a prescription. Don't come to me for one. Uh, yeah, and it just it, it came to the point where I had to make a real firm decision. I couldn't do both. Um, because they're both incredibly time and life consuming and I had to make a choice and I what was always eating at me was I never really took the plunge for film I would always do it as a hobby I would always kind of hone some skills on the side but I never really went full tilt with it so I graduated opted not to do residency and uh, and here we are I think there's a lot of like a lot of skills that transfer I mean the discipline mm-hmm. first and foremost there's a lot of self-study a lot of self uh, self-starterism um, and entrepreneurship because you have to know like what hospital you want to go to how your residencies how, sure. how the system works for same sure. thing happens in film who do I talk to who are the exactly. producers that are going to work for me what studios do mm-hmm. I want to be working with and on top of that you've also got uh, the creativity and the lateral thinking aspect right. how do I solve this problem what are mm-hmm. the symptoms how do I solve it right my script is sick how do I make it better right exactly um, was there any skills you found particularly transferable I mean the hours obviously yeah oh well, yeah that was, that's one thing for sure is that and this has always been my personality maybe it was inborn I'm not sure and so perhaps I was suited to both jobs from birth um, I've always been a night owl and I've always been able to function on very little sleep and very little food so that's definitely transferable when, when you when you work uh, four 27 hour shifts a week and you have to go work uh, 12 to 16 hour days on a film set that's a cakewalk compared yeah. to compared to what I've had to do so that's certainly transferable but the one thing that I think is really transferable um, would be just just interacting with people um, when you're a med student and, and all of my friends are, are still doctors and going on to be to be practicing shortly, actually, you see a lot of people from a lot of walks of life, a lot of different personalities. And that's one of the, the social aspects of medicine that often gets uh, overlooked is that you need to know how to communicate well and not just go to your well of, um, you know, standard stock responses. You mm-hmm. have to be able to adapt and work on the fly. And so... I knew, and and perhaps this is arrogant to say, but I knew that I could run a set with different crew members, different cast members, because when you're a doctor, you're running a set, your actors are patients, and your crew members are your your support staff, and so that was something that I knew, um, that was always my strength as a med student, was the communication side of it, was talking to people and working with people, and that absolutely was a huge, huge benefit, Um, especially when, you know, you're working with people in a very 
tight time constraint, um, a lot of pressure, and and you have to get a lot done with very little. And uh, I think really the communication was the biggest aspect. Now, you are a young person, and uh, in sure. the film, <laughs> you are writing about disabilities that tend to happen to older people. Right. So you have a character who has dementia, possibly the onset of Alzheimer's, something Correct. similar. What kind of drew you to writing that, and how did you approach writing a character that way? Um, good question. It came from a few different places. Uh, the first being um, my dad's mother, so my grandmother on my dad's side, um, suffered through dementia for nearly a decade um, up until when she passed. And, you know, it was always it was always an interesting thing to watch because you're having a conversation with someone and then five minutes later you're having the same conversation again. And um, you often wonder, and I would look at her and sometimes I wondered, does she know, right? You know, does she know that we've had this conversation before? Is there a part of her that does? Um, and I always just kept that thought in the back of my mind because I think that's fascinating. I think those early stages of your memory going um, are, are very intriguing because you're losing something that we take for granted uh, every day. And then couple that with my experiences as a med student, I used to um, work with whether it was by a family practice or a geriatric practice, or um, I did a lot of time at one of uh, a palliative care hospital in, in Ottawa. I did a lot of cognitive assessment work with uh, elderly patients, and there's a particular test that features in the movie that's actually a real test. The inherent tension in asking someone to remember something um, on what is basically almost like a, a, a student in school uh, doing an exam for you, um, and when you're watching someone struggle to come up with an answer when they know they should know it, but they don't know it, um, you know, it, it's it's as tense as any heist movie I've seen, and and that again kind of filed that in the back of my mind and thought, um, if you're ever going to do a kind of movie that uh, relies on on a ticking clock, why not make the ticking clock the person's mind? Um, and then the third part of it really was in in writing a role for uh, for example for someone of arts caliber was. I just I love actors. I love actors of all walks of life, and um, I really wanted to, if if possible, work with a with a true vet um, on my first featurette because I knew I would learn a ton if I was able to get someone like that on board. Now you worked with not one but two Canadian yeah, icons, both absolutely. of whom have been on the show. Jennifer Dale was mm -hmm. also in this, as well as Art yes. Kindle. Now we heard a little bit about how art came to be mm -hmm. in your film. How about Jennifer? When did she come along in the process? Yeah, so um, so one of my co-producers, Michael James Regan, um, was in instrumental in bringing art on board and he also was instrumental in bringing Jennifer on board as well. Uh, he was producing a short film that she was going to be working on and he said well while we're talking about this I'm just gonna slide you this script because I think you'd really like it and Jennifer blew me away because she almost she, she sort of actively lobbied for the part um, and when Jennifer tells lobbying for your part you give it to her. Um, <laughs> oh she is a woman of great force. <laughs> oh yeah yes. and uh, but you know it was to actually to have someone read your own writing and and an actor of, of her caliber and say I really want to play this that's the most flattering thing in the world in in her case her character in the movie she shows up she's got uh, she's got some pretty powerful scenes but she's also she really has the chance to command the screen and I know that was uh, something she really was looking forward to and and she was the consummate professional she came to our table read uh, almost 80 85 90 percent memorized the the part already and, and halfway in character so she took it very seriously um, and and 
despite that though she was a joy to work with behind the camera completely uh, nurturing to everyone involved and i can't say enough good things about her now as you've got to obviously two icons which we've talked mm-hmm. about how aware were you of canadian cinema and their role within it as you as you started yeah it's, it's a good question too and the answer is somewhat which is uh, why i do this podcast yeah exactly yeah. i know and i think you're doing a, a a really great thing here because before before getting into this i mean like i said i grew up on movies i loved movies Canadian cinema was somewhat foreign to me, um, which is a shame because I'm Canadian and I'm from here. And, you know, I knew of stuff that would film here and I knew of stuff, I knew of American productions that would come up and take over Hollywood North. But then you kind of look at what what the production was and it wasn't a homegrown Canadian production. They just happened to shoot here. Um, So I was I I knew of art. I knew of Jennifer. I had seen some of their work um, as well as some of the other cast members we brought on board. But I am significantly more aware of and more appreciative of now, which I think was just a nice a nice thing that came out of doing the movie was I've, I've gained a great appreciation for my my co-workers who I now can call friends and um, and for the industry as a whole. And that's the other question I have for you. So you set this in anywhere USA. Like you get right. the idea of it's like right. maybe upstate New York, kind of in that area. Something, yeah. Um, you chose to use greenbacks and you chose to set it American. Is there a reason yeah. for that? Yeah, there wasn't um, There wasn't any kind of knock against Canada reason for it. It was more so for the purposes of worldwide distribution. And I was kind of thinking down the road, the most ubiquitously recognized money on camera is American dollars. Um, And I thought it was just, it was able to quickly establish a setting that any viewer anywhere could just easily relate to and understand. Um, but yeah, it had nothing really to do with uh, wanting to hide the fact that it was a Canadian feature or anything <laughs> Shh, like don't that. Don't show the mailboxes. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, no, it was it was very much, and even then, because you know, there's no there's no name of the town, or there's no name of the city, um, and the only real tie to the U.S. is the money itself, um, purely just for the sake of uh, of making it easy for any viewer to follow and. and and you know there's also something nice about you look at all the heist films that came before this just seeing the green on screen is uh, Are there's something about you it familiar with the film the silent partner I've heard the name. I don't think I I've am seen going it. to send you away yes, with please, homework. This is a Canadian that. film starring okay. uh, Christopher Plummer and Elliot Gould. Uh, okay, it I, is, I definitely know of it, but I don't think I've seen it. It's John yeah. Candy's first film. Uh, he okay. is in a dramatic role. Uh, oh, wow. It is one of the most brilliant movies you will ever see. It is a Canadian heist film built to, and our audience will know this. Uh, mm. Go back, listen to the episode. It's great. It is. It was built to promote Eaton Centre when it first opened. Oh, really? And it is a bank robbery that happens within it. And this cat and mouse game, it is one of the most brilliant films you'll ever see. See, I will written watch it. by the dude who wrote L.A. Confidential. Oh, cool. Yes. Well, I'll, so. I'll watch it tonight. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I recommend that enough, especially seeing Canadian film or Canadian money on screen. Right. It's so neat to see right, that, to be like, right. oh, hey, that's a thing. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I think you'll like it very much. It's Absolutely. Worth, your, worth your time. But getting into the, the heist film um, aspect of it, that one might say that's one of the most challenging genres because you sure. have to play that cat and mouse. There ha- you have to be caught up and you have to root for people who are not good. Right. <laughs> what, uh, what are the challenges in that when you approach the, the great thing about it is also one of the worst things about it is that there's so much to look at there's so much inspiration um, but then kind of everything's been done before so you have to try to figure out a way to make it unique and like I alluded to before one of one of those ways was to make that ticking clock an internal clock for the character for Art's character in the movie to make it to kind of draw your tension out of the fact that you're scrappy you know rookie thief is going into a, a house and, and trying to rip off um, rip off someone, but he doesn't know if his getaway driver is going to recognize him in five minutes. Uh, and so that was really, I, I thought with that, we could kind of go 
for a unique direction. And um, in the case of the character, I'm a big fan of movies where you're watching characters who aren't good at what they do um, and maybe never really get good at what they do, but somehow manage to scrape by anyway. And that's the case with our lead with Jeremy's character. He This is this is a foreign world to him. Um, and I, I thought that was a lot of fun to deal with. And then the other thing with in this particular case with the heist is, and I don't want to say too much to, to spoil the movie, nope, nope, nope. Um, but there is a bit of a bend in the genre as well, and we kind of veer off in another direction, and that was something that it's inherent to a lot of heist movies, but I wanted to treat it with a, with a little bit more gravity. Um, I won't say more than that, other than you're kind of watching another movie while you're watching this movie. And there's yeah. such a challenge, I think, now to the heist film uh, because we have so much technology, and right. cell phones right. ruin so many movies. There's a whole Twitter <laughs> genre of game where it's Absolutely. like movies that ruined by cell phones. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Oceans films do a really good job of using technology to mm-hmm. increase the tension and being like, oh, if we right. if we can do this, this is how we're going to make this. How did, did you take that into account at all in making this? A little bit. So, I mean, I looked at Oceans, uh, all three of them for sure, uh, primarily. There are uh, four. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yes, the fourth one. <laughs> Completely blanked. Yes, the, yeah, um, but primarily Ocean's Eleven was, uh, I don't think Ocean's Eight was out actually when we finished the movie. Um, I think it came out a month later. But uh, I looked at uh, I looked at those uh, specifically because we get some casino stuff in the movie too, so that was fun. Uh, and personally for me, I'm just, I love casinos. So that was, <laughs> that was fun to bring in. But uh, no, absolutely, we I tried to instead flip it. So it's, it's actually a, a major point in the movie that because the character is so strung out, um, he doesn't have a cell phone. And uh, they live out in, in the middle of nowhere, and, and they're really cut off and connected from the quote-unquote modern world. Um, and then technology becomes a part of their actual heist, and that it's not what's going to undo them; it's what's going to make them. They're they're stealing just you know standard uh, commonplace technology. Um, so it was it was a kind of an easy little way to remove the problems that we could present uh, when you have. Um, like you said, how technology can ruin a lot of movies. Just kind of write it out, but also write it into the character and make that a, a you know, just add that to the reason why he's so strung out and, and down on his luck uh, because he really, he's, he's, he's drifting in this modern world. Yeah, yeah, he's a challenged character in general. Do you ha- do you have mm-hmm. an indigenous character in Correct, that? Correct. Yeah. Um, what was your approach to writing that character, and uh, did you? How much did you collaborate with the actress? Yeah, it was it was something that I thought was just an important point to address. I'll be careful with what I say just because I don't want to spoil where her character arc goes. Um, but there was, there's very much a reason with a lot of the the themes that permeate the film. Um, there's just an inherent um, theme that you get when you make an in- when you make a character indigenous there. Um, in particular, the the struggles that her character has gone through. Um, you don't have to write much more other than that because you, it just leaps off the page and you get it right directly from her struggle as a character. Um, and yeah, and working with Sarah Lees, this was a, a case where absolutely, I mean, we have a wealth of great indigenous talent in Canada. We're not going to try to cast someone for, you know, cast uh, someone who could look the part. We want someone who's who's indigenous, um, who their causes are important to. And, and Sarah Lees, not only is she an amazing performer, um, she is a huge advocate for indigenous performers and for indigenous arts. She... Um, Actually, it was just recently in an episode of Outlander where uh, she played an unbelievable role and, and a great episode where they uh, they spoke the language and they cast the parts legitimately. So that was really important to me. And then her and I talked and we talked again. It's it's somewhat spoilerly, spoiler territory to talk about it, but we talked about very much how her motivations are just, 
you, you just kind of get that pure visceral where you don't need to write too much of a convoluted backstory for a character. You understand where she's coming from because of who she is. And that was really important to me. And that's why the character is indigenous because it's, we've got a lot of convoluted stuff going on in the movie and her, it's, it's just pure. It's, it's to the culture and it's who she is and it's her background. Now you also have um, your best friend in this film. Correct, yeah. uh, so what was, I mean, there's a little bit of nepotism going on there, Absolutely. but you obviously wrote it for him. Correct. How yeah. did you keep that in mind as you were writing it? Yeah. I mean, I guess, so Jeremy and I have known each other over six years now. Um, and I always told him one day I'll, I'll write you something. And he was like, um, sure, when you're done being a med yeah, student. Yeah, exactly. Right? I said, let me let me get out of, of that prison and then, and then I'll write you something good. Um, just because I, I think Jeremy's a super, super talented guy and um, I've been watching his career as his friend and um, he's had he's had great runs and great roles. I just, I don't think he's been given the, the real, you know, top tier roles he deserves and um, I'm thrilled and happy as, as punch to say that I was able to give him one. But it was it was really interesting because I've never written a role for someone specifically before. So writing for Jeremy, I know his strengths as an actor. I know stuff that he wanted to explore. Um, I know I know the emotion that he's capable of. So that was all stuff that I could put into the character, and it was it was nice to to be able to imagine someone and to imagine his voice um, and to write like you mentioned earlier about how do you you know with heist films you got to root for somewhat unlikable people. Jeremy's the most likable guy in the world, um, and I was banking on that coming through on screen a little bit because. <laughs> the character does some unlikable things um, but I knew with Jeremy and I knew with with the charisma that he exudes we could get away with some of it just because that's the kind of performer he is and that's the kind of person he is um, and then on the purely on the production side of it um, I knew Jeremy would be there to do anything and everything for the role um, and I knew not just for me but for him for both of us to as a culmination of our friendship here um, and then to propel it to even the next level so he was a great partner to have behind the scenes as well because the guy was on set every. The guy's in ninety nine percent of the movie, so he's on set every day longer than everyone except for maybe me. Um, and uh, and I knew he could handle it, and I knew he could take it. And so that was a huge wave of relief going into a really tight production schedule like this, knowing that my lead will not crack, will not break. He'll he'll be my rock. Did you have any other connections into the film industry before you made this? Not too many. Um, the, my, so I mentioned Michael was our other co-producer, and then Samantha Herman um, completed the trio, and she is. We can never figure out exactly how we're related, but <laughs> I, I believe we narrowed it down to third cousins. Okay. Um, and Samantha's been. She's actually an entertainment lawyer by trade, um, but she did a. Uh, she wrote and produced a actor tip, a Toronto indie production, three or four years ago. Um, so I knew she had the experience. Um, I know she's been writing forever, and she was she was really the only other major connection that I turned to as a you've done this before. We know each other. How can we do this, and how can we make it possible? Other than that, um, I, I it was really all Michael and Samantha. They brought a ton of people to the table. Um, I brought myself and Jeremy, and that was about it. Uh, and, <laughs> and I heard your parents catered. So yes, that's that's, good. <laughs> that's correct. And my and when it came to the rest of uh, any odd job that needed to be done, my parents were there, my sister was there, my brother was there. It was very much a family affair. Um, but yeah, I, I wish I could say I had this connection, this connection, this connection. I had Michael and Samantha who knew a wealth of people, and um, 
they really, really came through and did an unbelievable job. Great. So how can people see this movie? So people can uh, see Robbery uh, coming in the fall of 2019. So we have uh, a Canadian and U.S. distributor, IndyCan Entertainment, on board, as well as an international sales team, APL Film. And uh, right now we're actually having those conversations. So most likely what will happen is we're trying to get a, a theatrical run in Toronto for maybe about a week or so in a couple theaters downtown. And then it will show up on your on-demand services and your streaming services um, which should all be coming together soon. So people will know soon exactly where they can see it, but look for it fall 2019. Awesome. How yeah. do people follow you on your Twitter and your Facebooks and your other socials? So I don't have any of that. What? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you can follow the film. So you can follow uh, Robbery at, uh, at Robbery Film on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, my sister runs the account and, and does a great job. And uh, It really uh, is a family affair. <laughs> and yes, and I, I'm inept in all that stuff. So I leave that to her. Oh, beautiful. All right. Uh, I think that's just about everything. So we will have that on our Twitters as well. You can find us at RCM Pod and me personally. You can find me at Liz Shrimpton for more interviews and uh, all the fun stuff we're doing over here. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming from the RCMP we're really stoked about. Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.